Hey guys, welcome to the Sex Life of Bruins. I'm Sonia, a quad writer, news reporter, and podcast contributor for The Daily Bruin. This series discusses how sex and relationships in college shape our sense of self and what lessons they give us. But most importantly, we're learning to better speak up for ourselves, especially in practicing safe sex, consent, and open communication. Today, I'm with Winnie, the founder of Preserve Abortion Access California Task Force, otherwise known as PACT. We talk about reproductive care access at UCLA, how accessible care affects perspectives and approaches towards sex, as well as crucial upcoming deadlines in reproductive policy. Hope you enjoy. My name is Winnie Shude. I'm a first year here at UCLA studying political science and statistics. I go by she, her pronouns. And essentially what I have done with my co-founder at UCSB, Devanchi Tomar, is we founded a interdisciplinary and intersectional network around reproductive justice and furthering reproductive health here at UCLA and also at the UCs across California and the CSU system. So essentially what our network is, is targeting the 23 schools at each campus and furthering abortion access and abortion care for undergraduates and grad students. Right now, our organization is called PACS, which stands for Preserve Abortion Access California Task Force. And our work centers around Senate Bill 24, um, which you might have heard is, I think actually the Daily Bruin covered it too, is mandating abortion medication pills on UC and CSU campuses um, through the student health clinics. So whether it's telehealth services or connecting students to providers outside of campus, the bill essentially mandates you know, clinics like the Ash Center to offer abortion services to students. And essentially our research is around holding the UC leadership and administration accountable around the implementation deadline of January 1st, 2023, and essentially evaluating the implementation process based on our three prongs of equitable access, rapid access, and 24-7 access um, for students to receive the abortion medication services. So that's essentially the overview of PACT and essentially what we have started, uh, Devanchi and I, um, in the UC and CSU system. So for me, my background in public legislation and public advocacy um, stemmed around my work in reproductive health and prison health care for women and people who can be pregnant um, in the California prison system. So I've been doing research with the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union for the past two to three years. And I've also worked, especially in public law firms that represent domestic violence and sexual violence victims in terms of gaining, you know, representation or legal representation if they were to pursue their case further. So I think that just from that work and from that research and trying to provide reproductive health and reproductive health services for women in prisons and also aiding in cases of legal representation for women who are pursuing domestic violence or sexual violence cases. I think I've seen the power of, you know, access to choices. And also Devanchi, my co-founder at UCSB, is a journalist and she is pre-medicine. So I think that my background in the law intersects with journalism and the pursuit of equitable access to healthcare. Essentially, the two founding principles that packed and, you know, how we hope the campus culture is built on. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the campus culture stuff. How do you think the lack of access 
impacts sex power dynamics and sexual relationships, particularly on college campuses. Definitely. I think that especially on college campuses, regardless of the student population, there will be a fraction of students who are sexually active. I think that that just increases the importance of ensuring that access to reproductive health and sexual health services on campus, you know, even more important. And I think that especially the work that PAC does around ensuring the equitable access to abortion services and reproductive services at the student health clinics, I think it does show disparity in the lack of, I guess, rapid services that students are able to access. Especially yesterday, my friend and I were wondering whether or not it is possible to even find places that have free condoms and free contraceptives on campus. And it was a struggle, especially because there are limited hours to access contraceptives, especially at residence halls. So I think that in terms of campus culture, people are very open about talking about sex. But I think that like in terms of access, you know, the Ash Center is very, very busy all the time. And I think that having limited hours where students can't access free contraceptives is very limiting. And it just increases the chances of people potentially not utilizing contraceptives. So I think that from what I've seen, whether it's connecting with other student groups on campus to talk about reproductive health or sexual health, people are very open in the conversation. But I think that there is a disparity between what the campus is offering in terms of those resources and services with what the students are willing to talk about and what the students are engaging in. Yeah, given all these disparities and like, you know, the provision of like contraceptive services, what do you think are some of the ways both UCLA and the students themselves can do to improve the sex culture at UCLA? And to you, how would you define or what do you think a healthy sex culture looks like? I think that everything comes from destigmatization and also just how much you hear about it from not just students on UCLA, but UCLA administration and leadership. I think that something that PACT has in the works with the UCLA Law Center on Reproductive Health Policy and Law is a potential reproductive justice week. That's just conversation after conversation with, you know, community organizers or faculty on campus talking about sex and healthy sex and how you can access different methods of contraceptives and abortion care. So I think that a lot of it just has to do with not just students initiating conversation, but also campus leadership. Broadcasting family planning is available at the student health services. Because I think that especially with SB 24, student health clinics offering abortion medication services, most students aren't aware that you can get condoms at your residential hall or that you can go to the ASH center and access contraceptives. So I think that is very, very helpful when students ask UCLA administration to broadcast like a widespread message about email that they sent out about the strike or whether it's the email that they sent out about the shitty Wi-Fi. I think that if we were to lobby and ask UC administration to say, these are the places that you can access condoms or abortion services. I think it's always just about widespread communication and widespread education. Yeah, I think that's totally really important. And I think they briefly touch upon like where you can access like condoms and other contraceptive care at the start of like every meeting for I think the beginning of the school year like in your housing like residence halls but that's about like the scope of it and I definitely think it's like way too narrow and so to you what do you think 
are some of the ways we could, apart from, you know, administrative and systemic change, what are some other ways that we could say help students foster a healthier sex culture for themselves? I think that UCLA is a very politically active campus from the administration point of view and from student health clinics. Their perspective is very, very limited to what they see inside the clinics and also the conversations that they have amongst each other. And I think that what would be helpful is intersectional and interdisciplinary conversations about sex between not just undergraduate students, but also graduate students with the individuals who are offering contraceptives or are offering abortion care in the health clinics. I think that cross-education and creating more opportunities for students to be able to talk about the disparities they think are within sex culture on campus is a way to further, um, I guess, address that discrepancy. But I will say that, especially on Brunwalk, those first few weeks, I did notice that one organization called Ignite talk about accessing rape kits on campus. And I think that just having students on the ground and trying to reach students when they're walking through campus, that's a very, very helpful way of just reaching some people that you probably wouldn't reach. What I've seen is the transition to a lot of webinars and a lot of panels online. But I also think that the in-person option is very, very valuable. I was just at the Reproductive Justice panel in Royce Hall, hosted by UCLA Law. So I think that element of interdisciplinary works comes in a factor again, where it's the law students talking about sex culture and reproductive health from a legal perspective. So I think it's all about cross-educating and mass public education about sex culture. That's something that, you know, we want to normalize more on campus. Yeah, I, I really like this distinction you made between the, like, institutional conversations, how they talk about sex education, UCLA law. Um, and so it seems like from your perspective, you feel that this like mass education, uh, interdisciplinary cross-education, it has the potential to maybe trickle down to those very like interpersonal relationships or connections. What are your thoughts on on the ground type interactions? What I have noticed about talking about sex with my peers from a very personal level is that people are very, very aware of the importance of contraceptives. That is something I appreciate about UCLA culture. And I think that it is very, very common for a lot of my friends to be on birth control or to always have easy access to other contraceptives if they are sexually active. From my perspective of the difference between those personal conversations and the institutional perspective is that they almost underestimate the importance that students have towards contraceptives on UCLA's campus. The way that I see that underestimation of importance is the lack of announcing from the health clinics about the availability of these services. I'm not sure whether it's because conversations around sex or abortion medication services is very stigmatized and politicized, but I do see almost a shying away from talking about sex from these health clinics, whether it's at UCLA or Berkeley or Santa Cruz. And so um, I have another thing to follow up with that because you were talking about how like peers always talk about sex, whether it's from like a personal perspective or whether it's a satisfaction with just like how low clarity there is from like higher ups or a more constitutional level, do you think there is like this pressure 
that's formed around sex culture because of this like constant discussion around sex culture and if so have you felt that like personally and or have you heard like stories from other people about feeling pressure to either enter into sex culture I think especially like the transition from conversations from high school to college is very very different because you're entering like an entirely different maturity level and playing field so there is always like an underlying like wanting more experience or wanting to be more sexually active because I do think that like for many people it's synonymous with like having enough fun or making the most out of the college experience but I do think that like the conversations that I've had and like the friends around me there is no pressure to be sexually active but I do think there is always this pressure to make the most out of an experience, especially like somewhere at UCLA where the party culture is very, very prevalent and conversations about sex are very, very open. Um, so I do think that if a student were to even have any notion of wanting to be sexually active, those conversations might push them to feel some sort of pressure. But I think that like in relation to that potential pressure, is this campus prepared to educate students about their ability to access those contraceptives, right? And it's just like, from what I've noticed, especially with working with PAC, why is this campus not more open to talking about those resources? Yeah, that's okay, Wendy. Like, do you have any experiences you want to share about, for example, do you feel like some of your views on like sex and relationships have changed over the course of, you know, transitioning to college? And if so, like how? Again, like a very institutional perspective, I think because I've always worked in the legal field surrounding sexual violence and domestic violence, and then transitioning into having conversations about how students on campus might have to access abortion services. I think conversations about sexual assault and rape are absolutely crucial. I have noticed that, you know, suddenly a lot more people that you know have experienced sexual assault and a lot more people that you know have a lot more stories than they should. I agree with the idea that, like, in general, I feel like the, the what we consider sexual assault, the threshold is so much higher than what is actually sexual assault, especially as that relates to even, like, giving consent when you're not sober. But what I wanted to talk with you about was this idea of how, like, reproductive justice advocacy and institutional advocacy is often, like, quite gendered. Let me give you an example. So, like, Ignite, Sexperts, and, like, student orgs here that deal with some of these issues are very majority women-oriented or just no men. And I was wondering if you had thoughts on that or if you could just elaborate on your personal experience with sex education and gender. I think that, like, especially as we were recruiting members for PACT or reaching out to the different student groups on UCLA, it definitely did not surprise me. Every single student leader that I was essentially talking to identified as a woman. And I think that personally, like when I talk about the rage around the reversal of Roe and the reversal of Dobbs, right? Especially when you talk to like men in your life versus how you talk to women, there's only so far that empathy and the compassion that they can lend you can go. There is always like action that comes from talking to your fellow like friends who you can be mad for your female friends. I feel like it only ever gets so far. It is a very, very gendered atmosphere in reproductive health and reproductive justice. And I feel like whenever I am like talking about PACT, 
like the people that relate the most to those conversations are women it's just like not really worth our time to even try to get the men on campus because it's kind of just mutual aid only goes so far like what you said like made popped up two two thoughts on my mind one sex education education about consent has come out of necessity and so that is like a privilege a lot of men don't necessarily care as much but that shouldn't deny the fact that like men also get sexually assaulted another thing that i was thinking about is it seems like there's a disparity in the level of men that are getting educated on sex ed how do we get around that that all just like always comes back to like how do we get people to care it's in every aspect of politics right it's just like we care about what we are impacted by and we care about what we know so like even whether it's like international relations or like voting right like how do we get people to care the only answer that is grounding the cross education that intersects with like public education if you are a guy and you're pre-med why should you care about reproductive health right and it's just like bring in all those factors of if you care about the biology of a human body then you should care about reproductive health you have to be able to like tie in aspects of what people care about into what you were trying to get them to care about right and most of the time it doesn't work but sometimes it does right <laughs> that is like what i'm holding on to because it's like we're here for a reason and we're here to get a degree hopefully you care a little bit about what you're studying and as you are immersed into this campus culture that does care about political activity and political engagement, and that is how you get like a guy in your life to care. The conversation we had just triggered a thought, like even when it comes to like birth control, the burden seems to be disproportionately placed on women. And a lot of times women have to seek out, for example, being on the pill, possibly like getting an IUD. And a lot of times this fear of like getting pregnant is what gets women going about like conversations around sex and possibly why so many women are so involved in the sphere of like safe sex and sex education whereas for guys it feels like they are in a certain way less responsible for what comes after and I think this narrative really has to shift in order for us to really get more guys to care about what's going on and or how this like impacts them as well right I think that like the culture on birth control is like it all comes down to like like the commodification of like women's bodies and like the fact that we can like reproduce right and it's like why is like something like reproduction and like motherhood why is that politics i just picked up like my prescription last week and if i didn't have health insurance that's like a hundred dollars out of pocket i think sb24 is like a step in the right direction it's time and money for these people who can get pregnant to access abortions when you look at like the impact it has on women's lives it's not just emotional and physical it's economic this is like fully a pivot and i think a lot of sex ed is very framed by heterosexual relationships especially reproduction um and so has pact or um any other like advocacy group on campus that you know of made efforts towards uh like incorporating conversations and education around non-heterosexual relationships I think the realm of reproductive health and reproductive justice, there's so many nuances to it. Abortion care and abortion access is a very, very punitive space, right? Like a black trans woman, woman is not going to be able to get the same level and quality of care as their white counterpart, right? 
the reason why PACT wants to be intersectional is because we understand that the nuances of reproductive justice is also LGBTQ plus health, right? It's trans health. It's incorporating conversations of social class and hierarchy into this huge realm of reproductive health. And right now, like we are talking about college campuses and college culture, but when you look at the demographics of all the COCs and all the UCs, you have so many different individuals of different backgrounds. Like how do you ensure like equitable access to everything? We, we would like to tackle like the nuances of care isn't just like this overarching, like, oh, you can come get it here, right? It's like ensuring that it's quality care. And I think that's like where the interdisciplinary factor comes in, like from the medical perspective and from the legal perspective. Given all that, so are there any like sectors you'd like to focus on and or what are some of your like goals for the upcoming year, let's say? Definitely. Um, so as you probably know, January 1st is the implementation deadline for all 23 schools to have abortion medication services on campus. Right now, we have working groups under the UC Institute of Global Health evaluating the quality and the access of care that these individual health clinics are giving to these students. So that is in our research agenda that we hope to accomplish. Further down the line, what we hope to do is to mandate abortion medication services in all California community colleges. So what we were talking about is how are we able to reach the nuances and different demographics with this like overarching intention of increasing access to quality care and education, with a great example being the implementation of, on January 1st, I'm interested in you just kind of like reiterating what you think those efforts will do to directly impact the conversations and practices surrounding sex and relationships uh, on UC and CSU campuses. Like an analogy that I would use, as we're walking through campus, and like maybe you pass by the Ash Center, it is very, very like broadcasted that like at the Ash Center, you can get a flu shot. When you are at a school at UCLA, like UCLA, and the institutionalized health clinics are offering vaccinations against something like COVID, it almost normalizes students accessing that vaccine, right? And in the same way, like if it is as broadcasted that, hey, you can get contraceptives at the Ash Center, I feel like that inadvertently gets people talking about safe sex. So what we are trying to minimize is like students finding out where they can get condoms or abortion services from like Reddit. Announcements from like the Ash Center or from UC LA leadership, like that is the end goal. Circling back a little bit to our conversation about why should these particular groups care? Why should men care about um, like safe sex practices and like contraceptives and or even pregnancy care? I think it circles back to they should care because there's more that they can do than they realize. And I think really giving students and allowing them to actualize the power that they hold, even if they aren't directly involved in a certain group would be of immense help to including more people in the conversation surrounding you know safe, safe sex practices as well as like fostering like a healthy sex culture the sex life of bruins brought to you by the daily bruin ucla student newspaper you can listen to the show and others by the daily bruin on spotify apple Podcasts, and soundcloud and the transcript for the show is available at dailybruin.com thanks everyone see you next time